Welcome to Lawyers Behaving Badly. I am Jennifer Judge. And I'm Karen Delaney. How are you, friend? It's been a while. It has been a long time, and I am vibing on caffeine, dry shampoo, and Zofran today. So (laughs) I'm living the dream. How are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I am fantastic. We've had a couple of days of just really gorgeous weather. I mean, Mm -hmm. tinged with some sort of existential doom because you're like, well, you know, it shouldn't be 94 (laughs) degrees at the end of February. It should be 94 on February 26th, but whatever. Let's enjoy. (laughs) This feels great, but it's really, really really fucked up. And I have been, in the past two days alone, I have been to three separate nurseries. (laughs) 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 Because it got a little bit warm and... You know, I've got flowers that I want to plant out front. And I knew they wouldn't be in the nurseries yet. I mean, I mm-hmm. knew. But I'm also replacing some monkey grass because the rabbits keep eating it. And they won't eat Mexican feather grass. And there is the Callaways here does already have Mexican feather grass in, in stock. And so, um, you know, I was hitting up all the local nurseries, the plant hot spots, if you will, <laughs> just having the time of my life. Uh even though I know, you know, because it's Texas, we're probably going to have another frost or cold snap, but it's been lovely. Yeah, don't be me because I bought a bunch of little tomato shoots and starters and planted them. And then we were out of town over President's Day weekend and we got oh. that last freeze Oops. and those are all dead. So yeah. time to, I guess I just have to go back to the plant store. Oh no. And, oh no. And get some more. Um, so yes, I think we should be safe by now for freezes, um, which is famous last words. But yeah, it's wonderful. We also replaced all of our monkey grass with Mexican feather grass. Highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been very hardy. So um, this is garden talk, just like we originally intended. I know. Look, we're doing our original <laughs> podcast that I always wanted to do. Welcome to Plant Queens, hosted by yes. Karen Delaney and Jennifer Judge. Here's our plant of the week. <laughs> <laughs> our plant of the week is Mexican feather grass, which is considered an invasive species in California. <laughs> so, yeah, well, that's been fantastic. Yeah. And then... Um, I have a secret I've been keeping from you in hopes of scandalizing you as we record. What? We talk all the time. I'm scandalized already that you have kept a secret from me. What is this? (laughs) I have been drinking cold brew coffee almost every day. I'm a coffee girly now. I am verklempt. Like, (laughs) what? (laughs) If people only knew, like, we have been friends since... Like, we've known each other since 2007 and have been friends since 2008, because that's when I kind of started at our first law firm together. Yeah. And you have been... We've traveled together. We have traveled together. You have been vehemently not a coffee drinker up until 2024. I no, am it's, shocked. No, and I'm 43. No, it's because when when I was in high school, I tried Starbucks a couple of times, and it literally gave me heart palpitations and made oh, me yeah. feel like mm-hmm. feel like I was going to die. And especially were you like, doing like drip coffee from Starbucks? I don't know what that means. I was having oh, caramel like regular macchiatos. coffee, not like I have no fancy idea. drinks. Yeah, yeah okay. no, I was I was doing caramel macchiatos oh, and. Okay. Uh, they made me feel like I was going to die. And so I've always been a black tea drinker. Mm-hmm. But lately, for, for reasons that I don't understand, just the universe moved me. I've been inspired. Uh, I've been, I started out with, well, it was the lattes. It was the iced yeah. lattes. 
And now I'm onto yeah, the cultures. The Although this is, I mean, you can tell from looking at this, it has like it, it has a ton of foam in it. You know, I mean, I this was is about like, to say that's like fifty percent foam. It is <laughs> coffee. Is coffee is like my skin color? Um, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm not I'm not drinking hot coffee. That still really gives me the icks for some reason. Yeah. Just the idea of this hot really disgusts me. But I am thoroughly enjoying my fancy little cold brews with hazelnut syrup and chocolate cold foam. Fun. Yes. Are you okay with espresso martinis now? This is the real question. Oh, I don't know. Those might fuck me up too much because along with getting older, I also, you know, I can't handle my liquor anymore. I can't Mm -hmm. have any alcohol after 8 p.m. or it means I will be up for literally hours in the middle of the Mm -hmm. night. So I might be open to an espresso martini at a truly troubling time of the day. You know, like 10 a.m. <laughs> like a lunch. Like a yeah, lunch. <laughs> like a lunch martini, as as one yeah. does. But I don't know. Evening, it might be too much. You know, I don't know if I'm willing to take that kind of risk because my sleep is so precious at this advanced age. It's got it's so true though. And people who are younger, it like I truly did not think it was coming for me. But now if I do drink at night, like I am guaranteed to wake up at two or three AM and just lay there awake. It's and awful, and I don't understand it's awful. it. And yeah. I've gotten to the point now where I'm like, Man, I don't want to drink tonight because I want to sleep through the night. And I was like, right. who is this person I have become right. at this point? Well, and I there's no sleeping in, right? Because my kids yeah. are up at 6 o'clock yep. in the morning, and um, it's there's no recovery the next day. And yeah, so exactly. it means that the entire next death. day will be <laughs> mm-hmm. miserable. And I'm I'm just not willing to do it, you know? Yeah, that's, I never thought I'd become that person. In fact, I was vehement, I would not become that person. And yet, here I am. Um, I'm like, can't we just, can't we have a nice kombucha with dinner instead? Yeah. (laughs) So I think, I think what we need to do is go have lunch so I can have an espresso martini. (laughs) Deal. (laughs) I know exactly where we need to go to. Deal. (laughs) Don't tempt me with a good time, KP. Like, let's go. (laughs) I know, you're like... Turn the podcast recording off. Let's go now. It's 842. Yeah. That's that's late enough. Like, I've blocked off time this morning. Let's go. Surely yeah. there's somewhere serving espresso martinis at 9 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did tell you that I have a chit-chat agenda. Mm-hmm. So before I get to asking you about all of your recent adventures, I did want to make sure that I mention that on Friday, which will be tomorrow once this episode comes out, if you can't get enough of lawyers behaving badly and you would like to hear more of us professor jonah perlin recently had us on the how i lawyer podcast and professor perlin is at georgetown and in each episode of how i lawyer he interviews lawyers from across the profession about what they do why they do it and how they do it well And he's been doing that podcast for more than three years he has at the time we recorded which was sometime last year. Mm -hmm. He had more than 125 episodes that he had published. It's a great way to learn about what other lawyers do. 
I'm completely unclear as to why he interviewed us, but we had a great time chatting. <laughs> it's not um, like our podcast is about us lawyering in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> <laughs> Although you can learn a lot, a lot about what not to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we had a great time chatting about our backgrounds and how we came to the profession, mm-hmm. our respective practices, and we do get into some behind the scenes on lawyers behaving badly. And overall, it was just a really, really fun conversation. I mean, Jonah is a great mm-hmm. interviewer and he's so nice and very funny. He's he's much funnier than he thinks he is. So Yes, I um, I, I it was delightful. I thought I, I enjoyed had so it. Much I loved fun. it. Yeah. The time flew, absolutely flew by um, when we recorded with him. And I'm certain that there are dozens of people clamoring to know the behind the scenes um, <laughs> goss. Well, my husband podcast. will probably listen. So we know yeah. there will be at least one. <laughs> Mine won't. So. <laughs> He, he, I, he enjoys our podcast, but he also says it's too weird since he talks to me all the time. And he's like, yeah. it's just weird listening to you and KP. I hear it. So How I Lawyer, you can obviously you can get anywhere you get your podcast. And mm-hmm. thank you, Jonah, for having us on. We really enjoyed it. Loved it. Thank you, Jonah. Can't wait to hear it. So that's it for me. What has been going on with you? Work has been insane. We had an in-person like conference um, all week last week, um, spent much of that time presenting. So um, a lot of you know things like that, working with other people. Um, next week, I'm traveling for work. Um, but the nice thing was in all of that, my husband was traveling for work um, over President's Day weekend. We were able to get away um, without the kids for a long weekend, which was extremely nice. Um, and I hope to, we are, I hope to yeah, one day ma- learn what that's like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we are, um, the most boring couple in the world when it comes to like getaways without the kids, because we literally sleep in, like go do something, perhaps take a nap, um, go to dinner and then go to bed early. And it literally is like the main priority is sleep when yeah. we get away and it is like at first I felt guilty about it. Cause I was like, we should go out and do and explore. No and then I was like, I'm tired. Let's go right. to bed. Right. And it was wonderful. Um, so we did that, which was very nice. Um, but work's just been, it's been insane recently in a good way. Um, but at the same time, you know, with two kids who are currently overscheduled, in athletics as well. Um, combining that with a lot of work is just like head down, work in the morning, work until you leave it. Some of their practices are at four 30 work until you leave at four 15 to take them to practice, oh work God. in the car at practice, you know? Um, so truly, truly living the dream of two kids in middle school now um, engaged in after school activities. I assume this is what I have to look forward to. It definitely is. <laughs> because right now our practices are at six o'clock and mm-hmm. I have I have to confess, my five-year-old's T-ball practice is at six o'clock on Friday nights. And at first I was completely outraged by that. Like who made this decision? Yes. And um, spoiler, spoiler alert, my husband is a coach. So part of it was I was going to say, I wasn't going to put that, put him yeah, on blast publicly, were, but I was like, blast. I know who made that decision. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. My husband's a coach. My oldest 
goes with the youngest because remember my oldest is obsessed with baseball. Mm -hmm. He also knows and is friends with some of the older brothers of the kids who are on the team. They go to practice as well. So everybody but me is out of the house on Friday nights. The dream. For a solid two hours. For a solid (laughs) two hours. I mean, by the, you know, they have to leave. It's across town. By the, and they usually hang out and kind of play a little bit afterwards by the time they mm-hmm. get home. Solid two hours. And it is incredible. I <laughs> highly recommend this. I'm, that sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Last weekend, I popped open a bottle of wine, had the music going, sat out on the patio with the, the, fire, ta- yeah, the fire pit going. Incredible. Love it. Not sure what I'm going to do when T-ball season ends. <laughs> I love that. We're in the opposite now. Um, This is, thank God, the last week of the like little flag football season my kids have been doing, but their games Mm -hmm. um, are from, um, they're on Friday nights now. And like this Friday night, we just got the notice that they need to be at the field at 650 and they'll be there until like 930 on Friday night. And that is just, it's just not, it's not. That's a whip. Yeah. It's a whip. And my kids aren't going to play tackle football. So like we're not Friday night lights people to begin mm-hmm. with. Um, so it's not like, whoa, yeah, get the cowbell. Let's go watch some football. It's like, let's go sit up our chairs and we'll put some wine in a hydro flask and bring yeah. it with us and watch, <laughs> yeah. watch the football game. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that is what is going on with me. I think you had another chit chat topic. Am I right? Well, I have... No fewer than four hot toppies because oh, yes, it's been right. so long since we've recorded, <laughs> which might be kind of chit chatty. Perfect. The first one, and I believe I know the answer to this question, but I want to talk about this anyway. Have you listened to Risa Tisa's Who the Fuck Did I Marry on TikTok? No, I haven't. Oh my God. I, no, I haven't. And you oh know, I meant I didn't get a chance this weekend, but I need to like block out some time and sit down and go you can't, through. It's no. like 50. It's 50 you now, can't. right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. let me tell everybody what this is. Number one, her username on TikTok is Risa Tisa, R-E-E-S-A-T-E-E-S-A, because I fully expect everybody to go watch this or listen to it. <laughs> this is your homework. <laughs> it is a 50-part series. And when I first saw that, I was like, fuck that. I'm not 50 50 part what? I'm not listening to that. But what I did is I treated it like a podcast or an audiobook. And I listened while I was getting ready or while I was doing housework, listened, got a lot of it done while I was out on my hot girl walks. Mm-hmm. But it is what the title suggests an exploration of just who the fuck did she marry? Because essentially her husband turned out not to be who he claimed. Essentially everything he's ever told her has been a complete lie. And so who the fuck did I marry tells the story of how they met, getting married, how things fell apart, the aftermath. It went super viral on TikTok Mm -hmm. about a week ago. She also has it on a playlist on her TikTok profile so that if you queue one up, it'll Mm -hmm. just automatically go to the next one in the list. You don't even have to do anything. And it's so good. The story is completely insane. She's also just a wonderful storyteller in terms of Mm -hmm. pacing and the details she chooses to include and kind of where she ends things. And she's just so good at telling the story. And then 
the other reason I recommend it, there's some themes that I enjoyed. One, women helping women. There mm-hmm. are a lot of pivotal points in the story where it's the women who are supporting each other, who are picking each other up, who are protecting each other. And it has nothing to do with the other men in her life. And I love that mm-hmm. because, I mean, we really do. We carry each other so much yes. through life. And you see that in this story. And then second, Risa puts up with just a truckload of shit from this man. She readily admits that she fully ignored giant red flags because she wanted to be married. And she says from the Mm -hmm. outset, I'm going to tell you the truth, even when it makes me look really bad. And the reason I'm doing this is because I am hoping that if it just convinces one more woman not to ignore a red flag and to trust her gut, that it'll help somebody out there. So she puts up with just an absolute truckload of shit where you're like, girl, what what do you do? Like, <laughs> what? What are you? Why didn't you? Oh, my God. There were so many off ramps to this where you're just like, why, 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 why? But when push comes to shove, this woman is metal as hell. I can't wait. She is a strong fucking woman. It took her a little while to get where she needed to be. But once she was there, she did what she needed to be done and she did it with a quickness. And this is a mild spoiler, but my absolute hands down favorite moment of this series is when she's finally telling her husband, like, you need to get the fuck out of my life, get the fuck Mm -hmm. out of my house. And he's trying to gaslight her again and argue with her. And she tells him in a completely calm voice, if you don't get out of my house, I'm going to beat you like the bitch you are. I screamed. I cheered. The scream I scrumped. The scream I scrumped. <laughs> Incredible. So I highly recommend if you're kind okay, of this like. This is going to be my hot girl walk um, background absolutely. tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It should be. It gets off to kind of a slow start. And I do want to put a content warning out there because she doesn't. In the first few episodes, there is discussion of pregnancy loss. Mm-hmm. And it, it it is kind of a little bit shocking. Like I didn't expect it was a little bit shocking, um, but it's, I mean, it's something that they had to confront, you know, and just want to put that out yeah. there. But it's an incredible story. She's an incredible storyteller. Amazing. So if you are casting about because, you know, for example, your favorite podcast host can't get their shit together to publish a yes. podcast weekly. <laughs> <laughs> Just for instance. (laughs) And you obviously love mess because you're listening to this podcast. Mm -hmm. Then you will thoroughly enjoy Who the Fuck Did I Marry? I can't wait. Okay. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to start it. Highly recommend. I definitely need to hear your thoughts. Next up on our hot toppies, F1 in Christian Horner, a.k.a. Christian Hornier. Shall we discuss? I... There is not enough information out about this. So let, I'll back up and kind of explain. Yeah, um, let's talk about what's been going on and yeah, who, exactly. who he is for the non-F1 mm-hmm. fans and what has been going on. So for those of you who don't follow F1 or may not have indulged in Overtake My Heart, um, Christian Horner is the team principal of Red Bull Racing. And currently Red Bull Racing is in a bit of a, I, I won't say dynasty yet, but they've won the past two world championships and their car um, is significantly better and faster than the other team's cars. And they have a driver, Max Verstappen, who is just for better or worse, because I can't stand the guy for better or worse, just miles ahead better than the field. And like, it is a running joke at this point that no matter where he starts in a race, 
there's a pretty strong chance that he's going to win it. And at some, at one point last year, um, last season, I believe he won 12 races in a row, um, which was a record. So it's he is so insanely boring. talented. Yes. And it, it, it makes the season so boring. Like if we could digitally remove Max from the season, it would be fascinating. But alas, we can't. Christian Horner is the person in charge of the Red Bull racing team. Um, and he is married to one of the Spice Girls. And he is British. And he is, I mean, from the moment, from the jump that we meet him on Drive to Survive, which I believe is how both you and I became mm-hmm. um, enamored with F1, he comes across as always aware the camera is on him, always playing to the camera, smarmy, um, holier than thou, um, but trying so hard to come off as cool and just gave, I had bad vibes, bad vibes from him from the jump. Yeah. When this news came out, I was like, oh, I'm 0% surprised. 0% surprised. Yeah. Like I would not have. And so to not to jump the news, but there has been news the past several weeks that he is currently under investigation by an external law firm in the UK um, for allegations from a Red Bull employee of inappropriate conduct on Christian Horner's part, um, allegedly sending photos, texting photos. Well, here's the thing yes. is that, mm-hmm. you, I mean, a lot of this is coming out on Twitter and it's like sources say yes. this and sources say that. Mm-hmm. And you never know what somebody's motivation is to suggest to the press that something yes. is or is not the case. And so there were a lot of people who were like, oh, no, no, it's a complaint about his aggressive management style. And it's like, get the fuck out. In F1, yes. in F1, what, what do you think the management style is but aggressive? Are you kidding? For a team that's won, you know, multiple world champions, you know, constructors championships as well. Right. I mean, what what yeah. would that mean aside from literally physically assaulting somebody? In which case, that probably would have been public news already. That wouldn't have yes. been a hush-hush mm-hmm. attorney-client privileged investigation, right? Mm-hmm. Confidential investigation. So. I believe it was a German newspaper that first Mm -hmm. reported that it was related to allegedly sending dick pics to subordinates. And I, like, I'm cackling thinking about that because, again, you and I were like, oh, not surprised at all. Not Not, like zero percent surprised. No, not even a little bit surprised. Like if I had to pick, if there was a giant spinning wheel and I had to pick the one thing that we think that he might be investigated for, it would have been that. It would have been that. Yeah. I also want to add it to your description of him, immaculate short king vibes. Yes. Strongest short king vibes. Yeah. He is like, he's very posh. He's very tailored. He is also cutthroat in political in the way that he makes complaints about other teams. Like he's basically not on speaking terms with a couple of the other team principals for other racing teams. Um, I think pretty much derided um, in part, possibly because of jealousy for his team, but also like he just seems insufferable. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So um, we are awaiting. Allegedly he was interviewed Um, for multiple hours as part of this investigation. Allegedly, there were a hundred pieces of evidence that he was questioned on in the course of the investigation and the interview. And so now we are just waiting for Red Bull, um, Red Bull Racing and then Red Bull proper to determine what the outcome will be. And it will be 
world-shattering, groundbreaking if he has to be removed as team principal from Red Bull Racing. It would be like Bill Belichick at the height of the Patriots dynasty being fired for inappropriate workplace conduct. I mean, it's, but bigger because there's a lot more money at stake. Well, according to a tweet from about an hour and a half ago, he's on a private jet right now to Bahrain. And (gasps) yeah. Did you mention the report? No. Okay. No, I haven't. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the, it, it has been made public that apparently the law firm has provided Red Bull with a hundred page report regarding their investigation and their conclusions in the mm-hmm. investigation. And that seems really long to people who don't do investigations, but without more information, we just don't know because we don't know how many yeah. witnesses there were. We don't know how they're coming up with that page number because a lot of times in these reports, you're going to have a table of all the witnesses you interviewed. You Mm -hmm. are going to have a table of all of the documents that you reviewed. You may attach witness summaries of Mm -hmm. the various interviews that you conducted. And so if this is 100 pages all in and it includes things like witness summaries, that that doesn't necessarily tell us a lot about. Yeah. It truly could just be, here's a summary of the witnesses and their thoughts on the hundred exhibits that I introduced to them during the the questioning. It could be blown up screenshots of text messages Mm -hmm. that take up, you know, half a page or whatever. So there's just, you can't really discern much about the length of the report. So we'll see, we'll see what happens with him. But yeah, it would be truly shocking if he were to get fired. I I honestly, I don't think there's any reason to expect that he will. No, because people like him don't get fired for things like this. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And F1 puts up with all sorts of terrible shitty conduct anyway. Yes. Like we could, we could have an entire episode on just the shitty, racist, horrible conduct that's permitted in the sport. So why start now drawing a line? So I'm right. not the, the, the principle for the reigning world champions two years in a row. I, I don't think so. Yeah, exactly. But we we'll will see. see. Maybe we'll, we'll be see. pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Okay. The minute that we finished recording the this literal episode, minute, the, the literal literal minute, minute. <laughs> we got on Twitter and learned that Red Bull had published a statement. This has been reported by multiple outlets at this point. And their statement reads, the independent investigation into the allegations made against Mr. Horner is complete and Red Bull can confirm that the grievance has been dismissed. The complainant has a right of appeal. Mm-hmm. Well, like well, we said, it's exactly what we said would happen. Yeah, yeah. I cool. mean, they're not the fox. The fox has investigated the hen house and decided that the fox did nothing wrong to anything <laughs> within the hen house. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? Is that you have no idea what what came out of the investigation, what the investigator learned, and it could be that truly these allegations were not substantiated, or mm-hmm. it could be that Red Bull has simply made a business decision. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And it's probably a lot. They see it as a business decision of we have a risk with this employee who made a complaint. 
we could perhaps solve that individually and find some solution to that. Or we could get rid of the team principal that's won us these two constructors championships right. in a row and, you know, put our team back several years. Gosh, which decision are we going to make? And it could, I mean, it could also be because we said, you know, the allegations supposedly were about him sending dick pics. Mm-hmm. It could be something as simple as, well, she appeared to welcome them at the time. So we're yeah. not going to fire yeah. him over that. Like, w- yeah. was it inappropriate? Sure. But we're not going to fire him or take action against him over that. Don't do it again, please. Yeah, you know. I think that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Don't do that, Christian Horner. Horny. I, I still will not stop referring to him as Christian Hornier after this. Yes. <laughs> a friend of ours referred to him as a wanker the other day. We were like, literally, he's literally yeah. a wanker. Totally. Totally. So we just wanted to put a little um, bow on that and wrap it up. Mm-hmm. And, little, uh, little bookend on that story. Yeah. Uh, cool. Happy cool. times. On to the next. <laughs> uh, the next thing I wanted to discuss with you, because it is something I'm just kind of fascinated by. Wendy's surge pricing proposal. Discuss. <laughs> for, those, I am... for those who okay, haven't heard, ahead. let me give the background. Mm-hmm. For those who haven't heard, Wendy's announced yesterday that it intends to start surge pricing on its menu to apparently jack up prices during peak operating hours. I have I have a bullet point list of thoughts about this. <laughs> What's your reaction? One, I wasn't aware Wendy's had peak operating hours. <laughs> <laughs> Two, um I, I drag Wendy's. I also survived in college on a baked potato filled with Wendy's chili for like what two ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've eaten a lot of Wendy's in my time. Um, three, they're not like the reigning fast food champ out there. So I'm very surprised that like they're the ones pulling this trigger, but at the same time, not to try surge pricing. Four, I saw a tweet today that had a meme of like two people throwing hands. And it was like me at the clerk when they try to charge me $13.99 for a Baconator. And <laughs> yeah, I saw Which another one. Laugh. I saw another one that was like buying a Baconator for $7.29 at, at 8 a.m. and reselling it for $10.50 at 11 a.m. <laughs> yeah, this is an excellent arbitrage opportunity. <laughs> I can't wait to hear your thoughts. <laughs> okay. One, it feels like price gouging. Two, mm-hmm. it is terrible fucking marketing. Restaurants have figured out to do it, how to do this. They call it happy hour to increase yes, exactly. demand outside of peak hours. And they make it seem like it's a good deal for you instead of fucking you because they think they can. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Third, as you alluded to, it's premised on the idea that you have scarce goods. Uber Uber can do this. Rideshare apps can do this because there are a finite number of rideshare drivers in cabs in one geographic area. So if I am trying to leave the Beyonce concert in Arlington and I want somebody else to drive me in public, public transportation is not an option because of course, Texas didn't bother putting its largest concert venue. It doesn't exist in Arlington. Doesn't exist. We, yeah, we didn't bother for our largest concert venue, whatever. But if I want somebody else to drive me, I don't have other options besides calling a cab or getting a rideshare. Wendy's is not a scarce good. The one closest to me, 
is in the same parking lot as a Raising Cane's and a Popeye's. McDonald's is directly across the street. Whataburger and Chil- and Chick-fil-A are down the street. Like, we could just go somewhere else and get approximately uh, the same you thing. Are discounting the abil- the availability of a frosty. I don't think you understand how important it is that we have one. But yeah, you're exactly right. Like, and is Wendy's running out of supplies such that they need to slow down the pace of people buying no, their this things? This is why it's just fucking price gouging, you know? And the other thing is, and that leads to my fourth point. Thank you, JJ. Fast food is already so fucking expensive what do you yes. mean you're going to make it more expensive because i would like to eat at a regular meal time <laughs> like, what sometimes i we buy fast food just sometimes you know we don't we don't drink eat a lot of fast food oh, and I'm multiple this, times a week in the delaney oh, household no, no no that yeah, was about as sarcastic <laughs> as i could possibly be um but i pay for it and i'm like we could have gone to a fucking restaurant for this amount of money that I yes. just paid for us to eat really mediocre food. <laughs> no, I I took my kids through the Wendy's drive-thru the other day and we didn't even get that much. And I was absolutely gobsmacked at how much it costs. Like, holy yes. shit, we could have gone to a sit-down restaurant for not much more money than this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, my fifth and last point that I that I wrote out because I wanted to rage about this is... It just looks so greedy because are there going to be surge wages that go along yeah. with this surge pricing? Yeah. I mean, part of the reason no. ride shares do surge pricing is to incentivize more ride share drivers to get out and provide rides yes. because there's more demand. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me that Wendy's is doing this so they can actually provide a living wage to their workers or poach people from Burger King because they're like, hey, you can come make $3 <laughs> more per hour over mm-hmm. at Wendy's than Burger King. It's so fucking stupid. It's so stupid. And I don't even understand why they announced it. Soft launch that shit. Like it became viral. It's I, I think it's, it's probably some... I don't, I don't know. I, I assume it's aimed at like um, getting shareholders excited. I've, yeah, I think that's exactly why they did it, which was look at this new money making thing that we're going to do yeah. to shareholders and yeah. investors. Yeah, but it's like, well, Seems the shareholders badly miscalculated. Yeah, the, the shareholders getting more money sort of depends on the reaction of your customers. Yes. <laughs> and like, fuck yeah. this. Yes, exactly. Like, you can charge me. $13 for a spicy chicken sandwich, or I can go to McDonald's and get my McGriddle and be right. extremely happy. So, right. <laughs> yeah. So oh, anyway, God. that <laughs> I, I'm wondering if they even launch this now because mm-hmm. it has been so roundly criticized and mocked. Oh, dragged to hell. Yes. Yeah. It's been dragged to hell. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, dear Wendy's get fucked. Dave Thomas would be rolling over in his grave. Uh, he would never. Dave Thomas would never Dave Thomas reintroduce would never. the little solarium dining rooms and take yeah. away your surge pricing. <laughs> and do away, speaking of the Frosties, do away with the stupid peppermint Frosty. It's awful. Yeah, I haven't tried that. It's been it's been the saddest day that I had to go off dairy and I was like, oh, no more Frosties. Okay, yeah, oh. don't. So that was, let me tell you how that was the most expensive Frosty I ever bought in my life. <laughs> I was with my youngest and I don't know what we were doing, uh, maybe like getting shots or coming back from a doctor's appointment or something. And he wanted a Frosty. And so I took him through the drive-thru. The mini Frosty was literally the only thing we got. It was the peppermint one. 
and I don't know, this thing is like $3 or something. And mm-hmm. there's a concrete berm on the outside oh, no. of the drive-thru, right? Oh, and no. so I needed to turn, I was coming out of the drive-thru, needed to turn right and go around the berm. Well, I miscalculated the turning radius, drive up on the berm, which should be no, I'm in an SUV, should be no problem. Yeah. It feels like I'm off-roading. And I literally had to hit it in reverse and the car's like, you know, clunk, like comes down. I'm like, oh my God, what just happened? I uh, finally get to a point where I can see the berm. There's a giant fucking boulder there. I drove over <gasps> a boulder. Oh, no. <laughs> I drove over a boulder. It, like, ripped up part of the undercarriage of my car. Oh, no. Damaged one of my... I can't remember if it was, like, my antifreeze line or my um, oil line. Something. Mm-hmm. All I know is that it was very, very expensive to repair. And then my five-year-old took one bite of the frost and he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> that is the perfect coda to that story. Yeah. It is so, so Wendy's so can perfect. absolutely go get fucked. <laughs> this makes me feel better, though, because um, two years ago, I was dropping one of my kids off at camp during the summer. And I was just backing up after I dropped him off to go to the office. And I was like, do-do-do, backing up. And I hear crunch. And I was like, what was that? Because yeah. I have like rear view cameras and there was no one right. or no car there. Um, and like there's an overhang on my car. So I wasn't hitting the curb. So I didn't know what it was. No, there was just a giant tree in the area where the curb was. So I backed mm. right into the tree oh. and popped like all my taillights open and <laughs> dented the back of my car. And I was like, well, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Our final hot toppy. Where is Kate Middleton? I'm so glad you talked about this one. Because is she? As of last night, I'm very invested in this. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I loved Ira Madison tweeted, I went from responding, I don't give a fuck about Kate Middleton in a group text to being extremely invested in her whereabouts in three minutes. And then somebody else, Deanna McDonald, tweeted, The Kate Middleton drama is hard because I don't care about the royal family or conspiracy theories. However, I do care about being in everyone's business. (laughs) (laughs) That sums it up. Exactly. Like, couldn't care less about the royals, but let's talk about some being nosy. (laughs) Yes. So for those who have not been paying attention to the British royal family, Kate Middleton has not been seen publicly since Christmas Day 2023. We got an announcement from the palace in early January that she had abdominal surgery, and they did say she wouldn't do public appearances until at least Mm -hmm. Easter, Easter. But there has been nothing. Like normally you would expect, oh, here's some pap shots of like her parents bringing her something to go visit her or here's the kids. Nothing. No pictures, no updates on her at all. Prince William was supposed to speak yesterday at a memorial service for King Constantine of Greece that Britain, that England was hosting. Like he's been, he died sometime last year. He was William's godfather. And I guess when Constantine was exiled from Greece, he spent quite a bit of his time in England with the the British royal family. William's name was on the program doing mm-hmm. this reading. And then he canceled at the last minute due to, quote unquote, personal matter, mm-hmm. which is at least according to our mutual UK correspondent, extremely unusual. Yes. People are going fully insane. 
about what's going on with Kate Middleton. Spanish tabloids are claiming she's in a coma. The fully insane conspiracy theorists are claiming she's dead, which let me just be clear. That is completely insane. And I go back That's again insane. with every every single conspiracy mm-hmm. theory. My question is always like, have you ever tried to plan a surprise party for anybody? People can't keep secrets like that. And yeah, yeah that yeah, would be completely, no yeah, 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 there's no way. Twitter is having a great time with tweets suggesting that she's out getting a BBL. <laughs> I was going to say my favorite, my favorite suggestion is that she's out there getting a BBL and she's recovering <laughs> from that. <laughs> Other people. So it's fairly well known that William allegedly had an affair with Rose mm-hmm. Hanbury, who's another inbred married to some much noble. older dude, yeah. noble, mm-hmm. inbred, inbred, inbred. And so with the news that, King Charles, that feels really unusual to say, Mm -hmm. has cancer and we don't know what's going on really with him. I I sort of think he's going to be dead within the year. The way, yeah, it it doesn't sound like he's, it's, yeah. yeah, Doesn't sound great for him. Think we're going to have a new king within the year. So other people are speculating that he's divorcing Kate to shack up with Rose Hanbury. Mm-hmm. It it is like completely spiraled out of control. It's been, like you said, I went from, oh, interesting, like every now and then on my for you page on TikTok, someone mentions like, where's Kate Middleton? Um and literally last night, I don't know if it was just like chance or the fact that my phone knows exactly what I'm doing at all times and we <laughs> had been chatting about Kate Middleton. Yeah. And so my for you page was like video after video after video of where's Kate Middleton? What's she doing? The memes. Look at Prince William canceling his events. Like, look at all of this that's going on. Um, so it's fascinating, especially knowing how much the monarchy wants to control the media and wants to control the discussion and probably hates all of this swirling and how insane the British tabloid press can be. Um, it's wild to watch this and she's just not there (laughs) i i think the british press is actually that's actually the most fascinating angle to me right now because we Mm -hmm. learned through prince harry's book that there is quite a bit of deal making between Mm -hmm. the palace and the british press i'll scratch your back you scratch mine and a lot of negotiating about what's going to be published and not published and as far as i know there's nothing. We don't have nothing. any leaks. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. Which makes me wonder, what is the palace promising the press or holding over the press or dangling out there mm-hmm. to maintain this level of silence about whatever's going on with her? Yeah, it's because it's the, wild. the press the press relationship between the tabloids and the palace, that is not conspiracy fueled nonsense. Like that is actually mm-hmm. fact that has been validated not only in Prince Harry's book, but also by other members of the, the Rota, which are basically yes. like the royal correspondents that depend on palace access for their livelihoods. But the, the thing is, is that the palace also depends on favorable oh, yeah. press coverage. I mean, they don't really have a reason for existing, so they need the press coverage to ensure favorable views of them, just like you said, so. Yeah, so that to me is the most fascinating angle. Well, we will see. We will keep an eye out for Kate Middleton because it's, I mean, I just realized it's the end of February. That's a long time for someone to be completely unseen at all, unheard of, 
Well, and I think that's why people started joking about the BBLs is because yes. they said, I guess the palace ultimately said she will not have public appearances until Easter. Mm-hmm. And somebody found something on online that was like recovery time from a BBL typically is <laughs> two to three months. She <laughs> shows like, up with a massive gout. Yeah. <laughs> Easter. Just like a ton of junk in her trunk. <laughs> Like, like you could put, you could, you could like put a, put a tray on that butt and eat off it. Yes. Like, that'd be so funny. Oh God, I hope that is it now. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta get that butt butt done before you're queen, girl. Exactly. (laughs) You, you girl, go do it. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I love that you dropped yacht in there. Yes. I have, have, like I said, I have middle school boys, so. Yeah, that's like that's one of the every other words in my house. So it's I'm hip to the Gen Z slang these yeah. days. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so funny. So that's well, what I got. I was with just that, just forty three minutes, minute, of whatever. <laughs> well, that was fantastic. So we had a slight change of topic for our main story today because what we're going to talk about, I saw in the news last week and immediately switched my topic. So my next episode will be grocery store drama. Um, But this is something new that I saw last week and was too excited about to not do. Our story, like so many of them do, comes out of the Southern District of New York. And it all stems from a New York law that requires drivers to obtain no fault insurance. And how familiar with you are the no-fault insurance scheme. Oh, just in terms of fraud? Like you'll get somebody to hit you and we'll both go, we'll go to the insurance carriers and get a payout? Somewhat. I mean, it doesn't really require fraud, just generally that. And I don't even know if we have this in Texas. No-fault requires that anyone owning an automobile, specifically in the state of New York for this one, is insured up to $50,000 per person for injuries sustained in a car accident, regardless of who's at fault Mm -hmm. in the car accident. And so it requires payments for medical treatments to be made extremely promptly without any lawsuit, which eliminates the need for those involved in that accident to actually file these personal personal injury lawsuits for medical treatment. But you just go get a, you fake an injury, right? And go get a chiropractor mm-hmm. and they'll mm-hmm. funnel the money to you and they take a cut, right? Well, the end. Episode's over. Great <laughs> I mean, this happens periodically. There was a big, yes. there was a huge syndicate down in Florida yes. that did this. Mm-hmm. Like a whole bunch of people got arrested. Yep. Oh, I yeah. love it. It's cool. right for fraud, the way yeah. this is set up, if you are the type of person that's willing to commit fraud. Because not only can are these payments made without the use of a lawsuit, the patients can assign their right to their reimbursement to their medical clinics if the clinic provided services to that patient as a result of that car accident. Mm -hmm. So they would assign their right and then the clinics would just bill the insurance company directly and receive the payments directly from the insurer. And if the patients need to receive more than 50K if they sustain a serious injury, then that would require filing a lawsuit, but those are also somewhat accelerated as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. One more thing you need to know is that New York State has, which is somewhat similar to some ethical requirements for lawyers in many states, Laws that medical doctors operating a company have to use a professional corporation structure as opposed to like an LLC or an Inc. or something like that, especially if they want to participate in the no-fault legal framework. So if you Mm -hmm. want your clinic to be eligible, um, you have to operate a PC. 
And under the New York law, those PCs need to be incorporated, owned, and operated by licensed medical practitioners, Mm -hmm. which means they need to oversee all the operations. They need to own it. They need to be, you know, basically they need to be the one de facto and de jure in charge of the medical clinic. And so it was common for insurance companies to deny payments to medical clinics that weren't actually owned or weren't actually operated by licensed doctors. Mm -hmm. And so part of the insurance process is investigating this ownership of these clinics to ensure that they're actually operated by doctors. Because just like we said, this could be ripe for fraud when you're Mm -hmm. talking about direct billing like that. So we have a man we're going to call Little Alex, who (laughs) orchestrated this entire scheme. Why are we calling him Little Alex? I have to know. Uh, Because that's actually what he's referred to in the indictment. What? Yes, that's his street name. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Thug thug life for real. (laughs) So he would operate clinics where physicians like doctors, acupuncturists, chiropractors, would routinely conduct unnecessary medical treatments and examinations so that the clinics could overbill those patients' insurance companies. And like we discussed, the doctors legally had to have control and oversight of these clinics to technically qualify to participate. But under Alex's Little Alex's scheme, they controlled the clinics in name only. So Little Alex's associates, who we'll call the clinic controllers or clinic operators, They were the ones who truly exercised control over the clinics and the doctors. They controlled the doctor's pay, their hours, and all the operations of the clinic. You have these patients come in, they would see the doctor, and we're not just talking like examinations. They would see the doctor, and the doctors would send them to go get MRIs, Mm -hmm. EKGs, acupuncture, chiropractor, even if the patients weren't injured at all. When you have a scheme like this, you obviously need a funnel to bring these people in. So little Alex was just the tip of the iceberg. So we have Paul PD. Paul was an officer in the NYPD. And his job in the scheme was to find motor vehicle accident information in the NYPD databases and use that to solicit, solicit patients for these clinics. Paul was an InfoSec mastermind. He (laughs) would transmit this information in an unhackable way to his associates He would, at work, take up part of a piece of paper and cover part of his computer screen with it. And then he would take a picture of the remaining part of his computer screen with his burner phone and would text that information to the clinic controllers so they would know who to target and solicit to come to the clinic. What a genius. Criminal mastermind. I mean, it's these guys, it's amazing they got caught with this Mm -hmm. kind of technique. (laughs) Paul wasn't the only person, though, sending this information. Little Alex also paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to runners, tens of runners, 911 operators, hospital employees, and others that would feed him confidential information every time there was some sort of motor vehicle accident and someone may have been injured or involved Mm -hmm. in that accident. So... I alluded to this process earlier. The person would come to the patient, they'd be evaluated, they'd get physical therapy, chiropractor, and a lot of these treatments weren't painless. Like these were patients who may or may not have been injured, but they're getting EMGs, which aren't painless. That's like nerve pulses to test Mm. your brain function in certain areas. They're getting chiropractic help. Um, So they're- Help in air quotes. I'll probably probably get shit for this, but like- 
oh no, yeah. we're aligned on this. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, I didn't mean from you. I, I meant, oh, yeah. you know, somebody's <laughs> inevitably going to pop out of the woodwork to be like, oh, my chiropractor helped me, blah, blah, blah. It's like, right. But having your neck adjusted by a chiropractor is legitimately a stroke risk, but whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like hard pass on that. Pseudoscience. And I've had, like, Continue. Yeah. My, my share of back and neck pain and there hasn't been a chiropractor touching it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the clinic owners would receive 90% of the proceeds from all of these treatments from the insurers because they required the patients to assign their right to reimbursement. And then the clinics would bill insurance directly and thinking about hospital setups and, you know, who's involved in submitting a claim to insurance and prescribing medications to patients and prescribing therapy to patients do you see any areas where there may be gaps for the scheme to perhaps fall apart? Well, there are just so many people that have to be involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just like you said, there's a lot of people involved. Little Alex actually um, thought one step ahead for a lot of these gaps though. And he created shell billing companies and pharmacies that his associates operated so that what? they could fill the prescriptions for the patients without question and could submit the billing to the insurance companies without question. Were they actually filling prescriptions? Yes. What? Yes. Did he have pharmacists working for him? Yes. Okay. You could just run legitimate businesses. <laughs> it, <at laughs> like that there's point, a lot of work involved here. There's right? so much work here. <laughs> Administrative and paperwork and management. Mm -hmm. They're not the only ones involved in this scheme. Whether or not they want to be, and wittingly, the insurance companies are involved in this, uh -huh. obviously, as well, right? So under New York law, insurers have the right to request that the doctors in this no-fault insurance scheme submit to examinations under oath for mm -hmm. when the insurance companies believe the providers submit fraudulent claims. And part of the questions the insurer may ask are the necessity of the treatments, and they may also ask questions about whether the doctor's medical practice is actually under the control or whether it's under the control of non-physicians. All of the doctors at the clinics were required to retain Ernie Esquire, mm. who is referred to as the collections attorney, to represent them in these examinations under oath. Interestingly, for our purposes, Ernie Esquire is not our main character today, oh, okay. and he is never specifically named in the indictment, and he's never charged as part of this. So what does that tell you about Ernie Esquire? Oh, that tells me that he probably either tipped off the authorities or immediately cooperated mm -hmm. as soon as somebody came knocking at <laughs> his door. He's like, I don't want that smoke. We will probably see that that's accurate in just a few minutes because the doctors were required to pay Ernie for this representation. And if the insurance companies continued to deny the claims, then Ernie would sue the insurers and take a percentage of any recovery from the lawsuits against these insurance companies. Mm -hmm. In these EUOs, examinations under oath, the insurance companies would often ask for several months of bank statements about the doctor's clinics mm -hmm. um, because they wanted to see the cash flow and see, right. are you actually operating it, essentially? Uh, the clinic operators couldn't keep making direct transfers from their fraud into their clinic bank accounts because that's clearly something the insurance company would recognize. Right. So this required some light money laundering um, on the part of Little Alex and his schemers. So Little Alex and his group set up multiple shell companies. It's, it's shell companies all the way down. Um, I, again, <laughs> I am just perplexed by the amount of work that goes into this scheme when maybe you could just operate a legitimate business, but continue. I mean, he's clearly entrepreneurial. Yes, yes. 
the doctors would pay these shell companies for, quote, marketing and billing and, quote, Mm. rent, basically, to launder all of the insurance proceeds money. So once those payments were made to the shell companies, little Alex and his crew would then withdraw the money from those shell companies, but always in amounts below $10,000 and just slightly below $10,000. Oh, also a federal crime. Exactly. Just a little light structuring among friends. Yeah. (laughs) The doctors purportedly had control over these clinic expenses, but they were doing everything at Alex's, little Alex's direction. Mm -hmm. You know, they were told everything they had to do. And lucky for us, there are texts because little Alex would often discuss his scheme with Ernie. And just like you said, Ernie's not named, but somehow we have texts between Ernie and Alex. (laughs) That's funny. In 2020, the insurance companies began denying more and more of their claims. And little Alex asked Ernie, listen, you know, this is a lot more trouble than it's worth. Just like you said, should we just stop billing insurance companies under the New York no fault law? And instead, let's just bill Medicaid and Medicare directly for this kind of stuff and do the same setup for Medicaid and Medicare. So you laughed. Thoughts on that proposal? Well, I mean, you're already probably engaged in federal wire transfer crimes. Mm -hmm. But at least with the insurance companies, you're also just talking about like a state criminal law statute, you know? Mm -hmm. But now with trying to defraud Medicaid and Medicare, you're like, look, I want to bump this up to the federal level. I want to do (laughs) federal crime. Tired of false claims act among friends. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm tired of swimming in the small pond of state law claims. So I just sent you what Ernie's text in response to that recommendation was. So it's short and sweet. Oh, quote, we do that. And then the next stop is jail. End quote. (laughs) (laughs) They do not go on to involve Medicare and Medicaid in their little fraud scheme. So little Alex and his crew also required the doctors at these clinics to pre-sign blank checks and get debit cards for the clinic bank accounts. And then little Alex and his clinic controllers could use those blank checks and debit cards Mm -hmm. as they saw fit. So with all these crime bucks being involved, we have Larry Lawyer, the grand entrance of our lawyer of the week. Oh, okay. Larry has his own firm. He graduated from the University of Maryland and was licensed in New York State in 2004. Mm. Larry helped solve the problem, what do you do with all your illegally gained proceeds when you don't know how to put those back into commerce? You buy a car wash. Mm -hmm. You buy Buy a car wash. I mean, did nobody watch Breaking Bad? Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Buy a car wash. (laughs) Or Ozarks, go get a strip club and a casino. Like, this is how you do it. (laughs) Sure. Larry's firm, Larry Lawyer and Associates, partnered with the clinic and the proceeds from the insurance scam that the clinics received would be sent to Larry's firm as attorney's fees for Larry's services. Larry would then take that money and pay the family members of the clinic operators or would buy land on behalf of those family members purportedly, you know, for real estate investment on their behalf. Knowing this and knowing our history of podcast episodes, how do you think that money passed through Larry's firm? Do you think it went through the operating account for that firm? (laughs) It for sure went through the IOLTA. 
It absolutely went through the IOLTA account. All those pre-signed checks, the clinic operators would fill those out and send them to Larry. He cashed all of those pre-signed checks into his IOLTA and then would pay out the proceeds to family members of little Alex's crew. So thoughts so far on this scheme. Was he also taking straight cash out of his IOLTA? Also a best practice for completely fucking up your license. Of course he was. Yeah. Great. Cool. You alluded to it. With a scheme this large, eventually someone is going to figure out that something is up. Mm -hmm. And we don't see how or when or exactly what led to it in the pleadings that were filed. But eventually the feds start investigating this. And KP, what is your favorite thing that we talk about when the feds start investigating? Stings. It's a sting. Yes. (laughs) We don't know who was on the inside in terms of their name. We just know that they are unindicted co-conspirator number one. Love unindicted (laughs) co-conspirators. And the feds don't say directly it's a sting, but we also know that many of our unindicted co-conspirators meetings with Larry Lawyer started being audio and video recorded at some point. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) Our unindicted co-conspirator is one of the ones who would take the pre-signed checks from the clinics and give them to Larry, who deposited them naturally into his IOLTA account. And this occurred over the course of years, not the sting itself, but the Mm co-conspirator's actions. This started in 2017. Eventually, in April 2021, Larry receives a grand jury subpoena from the Southern District of New York. And like we said, he's been engaging in some light money laundering since 2017. You are Larry. You see you have a grand jury subpoena. What is the first action you should take when you receive this subpoena? I am going to destroy all the evidence I can. Mm -hmm. I am going to tell other people in a medium that has the uh, maximum potential for discoverability, likely text (laughs) messages to destroy their shit. And uh, probably maybe I'll even email. I don't know. Maybe I'll send an email (laughs) to a bunch of people. Just CC everybody. Hey, Mm -hmm. destroy your evidence. Feds are on to us and go from there. Larry doesn't do that exactly. Um, Larry also doesn't hire a lawyer. Um, Mm. not surprisingly. Um, instead Larry realizes that subpoena is requesting testimony and documentation of these checks that he's been funneling into and out of his IOLTA account. Mm -hmm. And so at this point he talks to our unindicted co-conspirator number one, and he says, realizes that the unindicted co-conspirator gives him enough information to realize that, Oh my God, these were the proceeds of unlawful activity. Um, and allegedly did not know before this point in time that all these checks that he'd been cashing into his IOLTA account were, you know, crime books that were derived from a fraudulent scheme. So his whole approach is just going to be like, OMG, you guys, I didn't know. Yes, (laughs) but not quite also, because Larry creates, decides the best response to the subpoena would be to provide a response but he doesn't have a great response with his documents. So he creates a bunch of fake documents and submits them <laughs> in response to the subpoena. 
Okay. That didn't expect fabricating evidence. Usually the easier thing to do is to destroy evidence. Again, exactly. this is just a very labor intensive operation that they have going on. <laughs> like you, you would, you know, so many of our stories is we destroy it, but we take, Larry took one step further and proactively did some work. Right. He fabricated it. Okay. Yeah. Larry created over a dozen post-hoc retainer agreements between his firm and the clinic controllers. And these retainer agreements, like all very good ones, were unsigned, undated, and contained no description of what Larry's firm would be doing for the clinic controllers in his representation of them. <laughs> it's probably like, dear clinic, thank you for retaining me to not do crimes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And this definitely raised no questions at all for the U.S. attorneys, I'm sure, when they right. received it in response to their subpoena. Larry also decided that he needed to repay the checks that he had received from the clinic operators that were allegedly just sitting in his IOLTA account. And that, you know, if he just reimbursed them, no harm, no foul. Mm -hmm. Do you think Larry was done with his scheme at that point? No, it sounds like Larry likes make work. So yes. I think he is going to make additional work for himself. He, of course he is. He gets the U.S. attorney on the phone and starts lying through his teeth <gasps> to him. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. He tells the U.S. attorney that the money paid to his firm from the clinic controllers were, quote, originally supposed to be used for retainer fees, which is why the agreements were prepared, but that the clinics ultimately instead asked him to just hold those funds to be used for potential investments as one does. A totally often... normal thing that yes. attorneys do every day. Yes. Exactly. Simply hold your money to invest for you. Exactly. That's what I like to do is make sure that we have a large amount of money just sitting in some attorney's IOLTA account. Right. <laughs> Larry also told the U S attorney that he just coincidentally decided the day before he received the subpoena that he would return all those retainer fees to the clients. Uh, <laughs> even though some of them he had had in his IOLTA account, allegedly, um, you know, they were long since gone, but according mm -hmm. to his accounting had been in his IOLTA account since 2017. Oh my God. The day after Larry spoke to the U S attorney, which is in April, 2021, mm -hmm. little Alex calls one of the doctors who may or may not be involved in this sting. I'll uh -huh. let you decide as well. Uh -huh. uh, and told the doctor that Larry had received the subpoena and had told the government all the payments that he had received from these clinic operators were retainer fees. Little Alex then pulls out the stack of retainer agreements, the fake ones, copies of those that Larry had provided to the government and told the doctor that the doctor had to sign them and that they would be dated from 2017. Totally legit vibes. Definitely. No questions at all. Nine days after that, little Alex's associate meets with our doctor. This meeting was also audio and video recorded by the doctor. <laughs> little Alex's associate begins the meeting by telling the doctor to turn off his phone and leave it in the car to avoid the meeting being recorded. So the doctor's like pre-wired for this meeting. Pre -wired, oh, I love, yes. Love it. Love it. The associate then tells the doctor he doesn't understand why, quote, the feds were involved because it's not like their scheme was earning $100 million or anything. That's funny. The associate then hands a handwritten letter to the doctor, and the letter tells the doctor that he will receive a check from Larry, and his job is to deposit the money and then immediate with, immediately withdraw that exact amount in cash and give it to little Alex. 
once the doctor reads the handwritten note, little Alex's associate tears it up and throws away the pieces. <laughs> and once the letter is torn up, the associate hands the doctor a check from Larry's firm. So very Mission Impossible here. Okay. But I have to know, the pieces that are thrown away, was that in like a garbage can? Did we get those pieces and reconstruct them? Do we know? They don't say if they did or not, or if we just know what it said based on like the audio and video recording. Okay. I hope that they had FBI people like trying to piece together little puzzle pieces of a torn up handwritten note. That'd be so funny. About a month later, the doctor deposits the check and gives the cash to little Alex and little Alex takes the cash and gives it back to Larry. Yeah. Do you think Larry is done making bad decisions at this point? God, I hope not. Of course not, because he still has to testify to the grand jury. Oh, my God. So Larry testifies as the custodian of records um, for his firm to the grand jury. And he tells the grand jury that the payments to his firm from the clinic operators were to create, quote, a lending platform that was never finished. It was an investment in this business that they wanted to do, but was never finished. Mm -hmm. For good measure, Larry also tells the grand jury that he had definitely not spoken to anyone outside of his firm about the subpoena and that the partner at his firm was the one who repaired all these retainer agreements that he produced in response Mm -hmm. to the subpoena. Unsurprisingly, Larry is charged with a host of others in a massive criminal conspiracy scheme (laughs) by the Southern District of New York. He eventually pleads guilty. The end. But not quite. (laughs) As Larry is a crimeaholic, and he's addicted to (laughs) crimeahol. We learn in the sentencing memo that the DOJ submits to the court because Larry pleads guilty and they're Mm -hmm. going to determine sentencing that this is not Larry's first rendezvous with shenanigans and his IOLTA account. We learn in 2007, Larry worked with a client on a transaction that resulted in a loss to his client, whose money Larry had held in his IOLTA account. Mm -hmm. The loss was unknown to the client, so to cover the loss, Larry transferred money from other clients' accounts without telling them to pay out the loss. So we've got a little Ponzi scheme Mm -hmm. on our hands. At the same time he's spinning up this little Ponzi scheme, Larry began a real estate investment investment business using his firm. His clients would basically rely on him to find potential real estate investment deals. Larry would retain their money in his IOLTA and would represent the clients in their real estate investment transactions. This is 2007. So there's clearly something that's going to happen in 2007 and 2008 for people who are speculating on real estate investment. Oh my God. Yeah. So unsurprisingly, in 2007 and 2008, the client's investments in real estates begin losing significant amounts of money. And rather than tell his clients about it, Larry used the money from his other clients to cover the loss. And the house of cards continues being built, just like all good Ponzi schemes, And at all times, Larry acted like his clients still had their money in their IOLTA account with him. How did this guy stay licensed? Just wait. Guess how long this scheme lasted. I I don't know. What, five years? Until 2017 when he switches to the doctor thing? Until 2022. What? Larry owed almost $20 million to his clients, which included $6 million to family members who were clients of his. So in total, there were almost 50 victims. 
and how this Ponzi scheme came to light. And finally, the House of Cards fell down because Larry admitted during his proffer session with the DOJ when they were Mm. talking about his plea. So literally no one knew about this until he admitted in his proffer session to the DOJ. As a result, the government asked for a sentence of 63 to 78 months in their Mm -hmm. briefing. And just last week, late last week, we found out that the judge sentenced Larry to 78 months in prison. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. As a result of this. Um, This was totally new information about this Ponzi scheme. Larry um, voluntarily resigned his license from New York. Mm -hmm. Um, So he is disbarred and no longer licensed there. And we'll be reporting to prison soon, if not already. Wow. This is Larry, who actually faced consequences, appropriate consequences of his actions. By resigning his license. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but the writing's on the wall, right? Like, yeah. you're going to lose yeah. it anyway once the mm-hmm. once you get sentenced for your felonies. It's pretty hard reading in the sentencing document, you know, sentencing memo, because they have victim impact statements yeah. from so many of his clients who lost their life savings as a yeah. result of his... Ponzi scheme. So it's pretty heartbreaking. But if you read the Southern District of New York's press release, this is the largest lawyer run Ponzi scheme in the Southern District of New York in years and years and years. It's massive. Wow. Wow. Worst of luck to Larry. Once again, a sting pays off for us. Love it. You know, I love a sting. (laughs) That was delightful. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, so next week, I or but it's not gonna be next week. I think we're on an every two week schedule for the foreseeable yeah. future. <laughs> Sorry, but uh, next time I have no idea what we're doing. Been kind of working on some stuff related to our favorite former bankruptcy judge in the Southern District of Ooh. Texas, but we'll see about that. I don't know what we're gonna do next. So I am going to include in the podcast notes a link to Risa Tisa, Who the Fuck yes. Did I Marry? I am also going to include a link to Jonah Perlin's How I Lawyer, our little episode. Mm-hmm. And as always, there's a link for the, the standard merch and all of that. And you can reach us on social media at Bad Lawyer Pod. And you can always send us tips, comments, etc. at badlawyerpod at gmail.com. We love to hear from everybody. Thanks, guys. <laughs>